Hello, my friends. A special shout out to Uruguay and Sweden. We have lots of listeners and Leaderbits customers in those countries. I'm excited to announce that we have a new Leaderbits plan called Jaguar. The Jaguar is for technology leaders taking their skills to the next level. We also have the Lion, which is for individual contributors transitioning into leadership. And then we have the Unicorn, which is specifically for enterprise CTOs. So if you have over 100 engineers, that's the plan you want. Take advantage of this moment in your life and make the decision to improve yourself as a technology leader at leaderbits.io, leadership development for technologists. Take action, not classes. Speaking of great technology leaders, today we are talking to Sue Neal, the CTO of Global Logic, and we discuss the digital transformation and what it means for companies around the world. Surrounding yourself with people who will challenge you and why it's important to be open and transparent to gain the trust of your team. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I like your, your leadership poster back there. It's only one of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love them. So you're a big fan of what is that like a specific quote? I can't read it. Well, I'll read it for you. What yeah. it says, leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. Ooh. And if ever there was an engineering quote, that's one is it. Right. I got a little goosebumps here in that. Because, uh, I'm sure you you build products and launch them. The PowerPoint and the vision is the easiest part of the job, done in one afternoon. And then you have the grind and the slog work to get it out there. And that's where leadership comes in. Yes. With that action mixed with the focus, that's the that's the tough human part to continue that and to to literally will your imagination into reality. Um, there's a little pain there. <laughs> Not a little, a lot. A lot. <laughs> so I'm curious to know about the structure of your day. If it were a pie chart and there were three big slices, how would that look? Okay, three, maybe closer to four. I was just going through it in my mind. But, but let me tell you, um, the biggest part of my, my pie chart by, uh, by far is mm -hmm. hanging out with customers. And by that, I mean literally meeting them uh, and you know I, I break up my customers into sort of two segments they're those who we want to uh, them to become our customers and there it's all about understanding what they're doing uh, understanding the problems they have and figuring out what's the best technology that'll sort of solve their problems uh, that's one side and then there are existing customers where we are working for them and there it's all about you know what we're doing today where is their business going? How will we expand the, the current roadmap, fit it into their business? So that, I'd say, is, is the biggest piece of the pie. Uh, the second part, and that's just the nature of my role, is really sort of inward-focused, meeting with a lot of the technology leaders within the company, uh, ranging from you know, architects who are working on projects, uh, project managers who are driving the, the technology development, and just you know, sitting and understanding, okay, how is each project going? Where are the technology challenges? Uh, what are we doing? Where do we need to do resets? 
And that's, by the way, it sounds boring, but that's actually one of the most fun parts of the job. And I'd say the third part is really my role as a CTO in the company is also, uh, you know, we are organized by practices, which are core competencies, you know, so DevOps is a core competency. Um, Analytics and machine learning is a core competency. So one of the things that we end up, I end up doing a lot is figuring out what is the innovation agenda, because we always have to be one step ahead in terms of, so, you know, I act like an internal VC, if you want to call it, you know, it's a company budget, but saying, where do we put some bets on? Let's develop this. Let's build a proof of concept. Let's do some innovative stuff. Uh, And the administrative structure that, you know, underlies that whole thing. I think those, those are, I would say, the three big pieces of the pie. That's amazing. And so now I'm curious a little bit more about Global Logic and what the business type is. It sounds like you have your large company, correct? Well, it depends on what you define as large. You have, th- um, you have more than three people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. We're closer to almost 12,000. Right. So we are large-ish. You're large-ish, yeah. And then the the style of business that you do, you mentioned you have clients, right? So right now, a lot of the the technology companies that just by nature of life that come on the show, they happen to do one product really big, like maybe Asana, right? Uh, Prashant, and he's out in the Bay Area too. And so they'll they'll focus on Asana, and obviously there's lots of complexity within it. But do you have one product or do you work with multiple companies to build products? Can you explain to me about that? So, so I think the latter that you said is close, but let me sort of explain it in a little more detail. We really work with, with our clients to build out products, platforms, digital uh, systems that really will impact their business outcomes. And so if you think about what we're really doing is think of us as a product company, except we're the builders of products for other people. And that includes you know, companies who themselves may be building uh, products for end users and they are our customers. So we'll often be the behind the scenes people building it out for them. Uh, but I think the most exciting part of it is it also includes uh, a lot of these, you know, what you would consider traditional businesses, you know, retailers or automotive companies. I mean, software and technology is everywhere. And so we build their platforms or products that will drive their businesses. So we are fairly well established in a few verticals. Uh, so retail is big for us. Automotive is big for us. Medical devices is big for us. Uh, telecom is big for us. And in each of those segments, you know, we have different products and platforms we're building for different people, which is why we have so many people. And, and arguably... I've been making, I know product like my whole life, right? So I came in right when we were, everyone's building stuff. I'm in my early thirties. My father was an engineer, embedded systems designer. And so he taught me when I was eight to write code. And then I've just been writing and doing all that since I got into uh, the founding status and then leadership and advisory. And you, you're one of the hardest lines of business there is. When, you, when you're a client business to be the size you are, I mean, that's tremendously hard. You typically will see, the companies that are at several thousands of people and then the companies that are like under a hundred, because if, if you're able to make that transition and you have those skills, you can usually do really well in the market, but so few are able to do it. I think like the only ones I really, that come to top of my mind are 
that are that size, like you and maybe a CA Technologies, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a few that specialize, and again, that's the important part. Uh, you know, IT services is a different beast altogether, and product engineering and platform engineering is completely different, and we're the latter. And I think you've hit the nail on the head because the kind of uh, thinking and discipline that it requires to build and launch a product and a platform. And that starts right from the, the you know, specifications, you know, understanding what, you know, it's not just a case of, hey, somebody wrote to you, do this. Uh, good product management requires really understanding what is the business, where would it lead to, what is the roadmap, because you're not building something just for today. You're building something that'll scale that'll be deployed will last a few years yet you have the adaptability built in that you can you know add new features functions pivot as the business is changing and i think that requires a certain discipline which once you learn it uh you can you can sort of apply it again and again but to learn it is the hard part i was speaking about this the other day which was coming up through my head while you were talking working backwards from the outcome and that's just what you were hinting around. It seemed like was, you know, just because it's like, tell me to do something. And then you, you have to understand a little bit more about the why to bring them the value. And then on top of that, I, I loved how the first part of the conversation was I spend a lot of time with the customers because I don't think you would actually be surprised though, to find out that when I talk to a lot of the mid, the companies that have uh, between 50 to hundred employees that are struggling, I'm always asking them about, you know, when, how they engage with the customers and how they're engaging with their C-level counterparts of their clients. And, and they're like, we don't talk to them. And I'm like, <laughs> like change Like orders come through. We do the order request comes through. We discuss the price of the request. Like you don't sit down and talk with them about what they're experiencing, how it's going with their customer, what value you bring them so they can bring value to their customer better. Um, and they're like, why would I do that? That's for like my CEO. That's someone else's job. And I'm like, nope, you're the CTO. And they, you have, you have a CTO over there and the two CTOs need to get together and, and collaborate around the customer. Yeah. And, and I would go a step further that, uh, you know, of course, not to undervalue the role of the CEO, they have their own thing. But in the type of business that we are in, uh, which is really technology, building platforms or products that will drive your business, the CTO, that's my view, has a more pivotal role. Because, yeah, you can, you know, they'll be the finance guys will work out the financial arrangements and the CEOs, of course, will drive the company. But in the end, it's CTO to CTO or CIO to CTO who have to look at each other and say, look, on their side, the customer side, they are being entrusted and sometimes with very large budgets to take their business to the next level. And they are now relying on you as a partner to help them get there. So that conversation is where the rubber really hits the road. And, and I don't think there's any other way you can look at it. I'm enjoying you, my friend. <laughs> so how, how did you end up, how did you get to Global Logic? What does your path there look like? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure that you would consider it, you know, you, I was listening to you when you were saying, you know, you were whatever, a kid and you were coding and you always knew you would go there. You know, I, I've sort of come at it from a slightly different angle, you know, and I think the, 
most important piece I would say is curiosity. It drove me. So, you know, I did did uh, uh, engineering, and then I went to grad school. I was actually at Cornell, uh, where I studied robotics and you know yeah. artificial intelligence and all that a long time ago. Uh, and for a short time, I was even a, 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 a assistant professor at Dartmouth, one of those small schools down in, uh, in New England. What I think brought me into technology and products was realizing, even as, you know, when I was a professor, I love teaching, by the way, and that's still a passion. Uh, but what I really enjoyed was seeing how you could apply technology. We were working on these research projects from DARPA, where we were building virtual reality platforms. We were designing languages where you could express how virtual actors would behave applying robotics. And what, what we started to see was there was such a pull from the industry even then. Uh, you know, Intel was building its new chips, which included all those 3D primitives. Uh, Quick Draw 3D was coming out at Apple. And, you know, so you sort of realize all the excitement is happening there. And so I left academia and started with a bunch of friends. You know, we, we started building a certain product, did very well, exited. And from that point on, I really have been sort of a, I became a technologist entrepreneur, if you would like, uh, doing different kinds of products. I moved to Silicon Valley from the East Coast, uh, did products in uh, supply and demand chain. Uh, real-time analytics, uh, had a few exits, uh, or began, the internet became hot, consumer internet was hot, worked with a couple of companies uh, as an investor, board member in uh, consumer internet space. They did very well. So it's been sort of the startup products uh, uh, journey. And I think I reached a stage where I realized, you know, now I've got all this experience behind me, uh, and maybe what would be fun would be applying that uh, to bring it to other uh, customers. And Global Logic seemed to be ideally, it's about products, it's about platforms. At the same time, you're, you're applying that to multiple customers. So that's sort of the journey that got me uh, into Global Logic. Oh, I like it. So when I was, when I was younger and my father taught me, I, I did it because I thought it was like a lot of fun. Right. So I thought it was really cool to see the screen that I saw in the movies, you know, the hacker screens. Right. That's what, that's what you, an eight year old would call them, uh, which is just, just the command prompt terminal. And I thought it was so cool to get it to say stuff. And then he taught me some basic commands. And then I ended up writing a little program that made it so I could press one button and it would run the command. Right. And then I just I had a lot of fun with it. And actually and I don't think I've ever even shared this on on the, the show at all. But in high school. Um, I was planning on a police officer or pilot, right? Not uncommon, I might say. Huh? Odd? Not an uncommon aspiration. Yeah. So my father was in the Air Force. That's how he learned electronics design. They put the GPS systems into the B-32 stealth bombers. And when I, I, I thought it was very cool, the pilots was cool. His bar, one of his business partners had a plane, so I got to go up in it. And I was like, oh, pilot or or um, and the cool people I knew were like firefighters and like police officers. They were like the cool people. Uh, and so I said, you know, I'm going to go that. And then after, at the end of high school, I saw how much money they made. <laughs> and I, I go, well, how much money, you know, am I making, you know, with 
in high school doing freelance online and I was making more money doing freelance in high school than you make in that career. And so I said, well, that's really cool. But you know, in high school, you're thinking about the cars you want to buy, right? And you're thinking about, you're heavily object focused. And then I looked at the objects that I wanted and I was like, well, I need to go into this. I need to just take the thing I love and just parlay that into a, into a career. So it wasn't clear the, um, growing up, uh, until the end of high school when I had to make financial decisions. Right. And then I went into, um, went to a real estate office and, uh, because my, my stepdad had a real estate office and I sat around there and I looked and I paid attention to what people's problems were and I was talking to them. And so then I built little tools to help them. And ultimately an agent left that office, went up North cause they split their time where they lived, told that company about it. They happened to be one of the largest real estate companies in the world. And the, they flew down and ended up licensing my IP and deploying it to thousands and thousands of real estate agents. That's a great story. Yeah. And so that was one of my first uh, ways that I found out, oh, this is, this is how the world works. And then of course, round two, I didn't do that because I thought it was really cool that I could just build product. And then I realized the most important part is actually being there with the customer so that you're building it to solve their problem because your technology being cool or being designed in a cool way isn't cool unless if it solves someone's problem because that's the only reason why they exchange money. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. Sorry, I usually don't tell a longer story. <laughs> oh, no, this is great. I, I love uh, hearing about it. And I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you found your calling through a certain way. So that's great. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the first time you had the opportunity to go from individual contributor to being a leader. Yeah, um, I, I think it actually started right away. I mean, you know, I used to be a, a professor and you're sort of a leader there, but let's put that aside because it's a very different kind of role. Uh, you, you know, the, the first time I, I founded a company, uh, I was also the CTO then uh, and, and also driving the entire, you know, there's, it's a longer conversation at some point about CTO versus VP engineering. Well, when you're small, it's all the same you're responsible for the product and you're responsible for building it, you're responsible for getting it to the customer. So I think the biggest difference from being an individual contributor where you can sit and do your own stuff is you suddenly realize, okay, I've got to manage these people. And the kind of role a CTO has, uh, the people you're managing are not necessarily yes men or people you just order. There are people who challenge you. There are people who will say, no, I don't agree with this design. Now, why is it? And so one of the biggest things I, I learned right away was that you have to sort of lead by example because the easiest way to convince people to do something that you want them to do is to make them believe you really know what you're doing because then they'll follow you. Uh, and, and so I think uh, it's really important, and that's something I believe very strongly in engineering-centric companies. The leadership uh, has to be people who lead by example. They cannot be just pure managers who just come in and say, well, I don't know what you guys have to do, but here's your schedule to do it. So step one, you learn, okay, be, be ready to be challenged, show them how it needs to be done, and then you'll get things done. There are a whole lot of other lessons, but I'll tell you that that, I think, was the single biggest learning, uh, and it stayed with me throughout my life. 
Now I noticed in my research, it looks like I may be wrong, but it looks like you have uh, two CTOs. That is right. Actually, we, we could have even, even more than two just because of the size we have. And very often there's, there's a vertical focus. So one of my, my colleagues, he works much closer with just the sales side. He's a business CTO working on the business side. And we have a lot of overlap. Uh, you know, we both work with customers in there, uh, but our responsibilities within the organizations are slightly different. And then there's actually more than one. You may or may not see all of them. Uh, and uh, one of them is focused very vertically in a telecom domain in there. And, you know, one of the things we see is if the amount of work expands too much and one domain is consuming too much time, we even put another one there. In there, so it's sort of a shared responsibility, but very targeted with with individual roles and responsibilities that happen. Oh, I love it. Like I that that was the first time I noticed that, and I was like, I hope this is right because I I like how you you get to that size, and I I like how you you know bifurcated split the responsibilities. It, was, it looks very intelligent, and I think that also has to do with you know it is a little bit unusual. If it's a single product company, uh, you will have usually just one CTO. Yeah. And the reason is very simple. There, there is a complete sort of end-to-end -end focus on a single product, and you need decision making. You know that is, for lack of a better word, you know centralized in one thing so that it elevates the kind of business we are in. We're servicing multiple clients in multiple domains. So while we may share, you know, technology visions. In effect, each individual client is the equivalent of his or her own product. So you're essentially managing the products. And so there, the bifurcation of the shared responsibility becomes easier. You know, I had a friend of mine sent me an article about two weeks ago, and they did, somebody had performed a study. I'm just trying to remember. They performed a study about how technology companies invest in their own proprietary technology. Like we all know about Google Cloud, Amazon services, but this study was focused specifically on how they spend on developing their own internal tools to help them serve the market better. And that was really great because in this, in this whole world of us developing products for other people and then leveraging the whole SaaS market in order to serve the customers, it's, it's rare that I find companies building tools at the level of around 100 people for themselves. Instead, they're just trying to leverage and pull everything together. And myself, I've always been a fan of building tools, something that can help me today, something small that can help me today do better. So that's a culture you know, in the companies I'm a part of is let's build some tools that help us serve the market better. Uh, we don't necessarily need to patch everything in the world together. So uh, I like that you mentioned that that's part of your core business model, that your clients are leveraging you. Like I may, I may be a big brand and have a fantastic product and all we do is build our product and to keep the focus on that, rather than booting up another division, I go pick up a client a contract with Global Logic. Now they're solely focused on their pods on developing technology that's going to help me. And, and to know, I guess, for me to raise awareness of that ecosystem is something that I'm enjoying doing because it doesn't get talked about a lot and only recently has it come into the field of my view a handful of times. So I would add a little bit further to it that even 
you know, we also, because we have these horizontal practices that I was telling you, there's DevOps and there's analytics and machine learning, there's big data, there's UI, UX. Part of what, you know, we do internally because we are working with so many different platforms and products is we sort of learn to connect the dots and say, oh, you know, here is a certain utility or, or here's a certain tool or here's a certain product or platform or a framework, which we think is going to be used again and again because people are using very similar technology stacks. So we build those internally that one of the duties that I was telling you about is I often act as an internal VC and say, let's make some investments. We will build those out because then we can leverage that and get people quicker to market. And that's one of the fun parts of what we do at Global Logic, which is, you know, we have, that's kind of also becomes our specialization and ways that we help our customers. Now, have you gotten, and I'm just curious, because this was on my mind about a year, a year ago. Um, when I saw, when I first saw Intercom, you're familiar with Intercom? Mm-hmm. When I first saw them, I just said, oh, wow, this is the future. And we, I was actually working on a large project, right? And that was a component that we were building as just out of necessity to make that business model more accessible, to make it work easier. And I said, guys, I know you're, we're building this and, and this small chat thing that we've built only 20% of the market or 20% of our, our whole concept. And it's just this little add on thing that we have to do. But I just saw this company come out called intercom. And then I looked up and there was like another small company out there too. And they maybe had like 10, they were small. Right. And this, I'm, I'm wrong on my timeline. This must've been three years ago. I looked at it and said, what we need to do is we need to break this off and attack the market like as quickly as possible with it. Cause this other thing that we're trying to do, we're just, it's just a little bit better and we don't, it's just a, we're just building phase right now. We don't actually have any customers or relationships in that area. And I was just advising on the project. I was like, look, this is going to be a huge thing. I went on Crunchbase. I saw two more companies got funded for it. It's like, guys, chat is the future. They're like, no, 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 we're not doing it. I'm like, all right. And then boom, I get an email like about six months ago. Like we should have listened to you. <laughs> so that was a long winded way of me asking, uh, have you guys built any of the chat stuff and got made investments into that? So, the most important thing is, of course, that we build, if we build, we are building for our clients. Right. So, of course, that we are building that they've taken to market. Our business isn't really launching our own products. We don't compete with our own customers. And that. So, whatever we build are what we call more like frameworks and scaffolds yeah. that'll help build things quicker that we can reuse again and again. Uh, and we've built a lot of those technologies, but we've built it for others. Right. I love it. I'd, I'd be amazed. Walking through your building would be like me and, and the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. It'd just be so cool. <laughs> we, 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 we joke about it that, you know, the, what we do, we're like, you know, bringing uh, kids to a candy store. Yes. Uh, you know, if you, if you start your day at one end, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with uh, devices that are, you know, medical devices that are saving lives uh, and you go elsewhere and it's all about uh, autonomous learning and, uh, you know, autonomous cars and and they're being tested and you go to a different part and there's a new uh, retail, you know, mobile app that is being developed. And it's, yeah, it's like being a kid in a candy store. That's amazing. I'm, you mentioned robots. You have a background when robotics wasn't as sexy. It's obviously getting a whole lot more attention now. And 
I'm curious, have you seen the Boston Dynamics robots? Oh, I, of course I have. And actually, Mark Raber was there when I was a, was a grad student in robotics, and he was at Carnegie Mellon. And we used to see his, I don't know what it was called, the jumping dog or the hopping robots. And yes, I've seen them since that time. Those things are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So like when you, when you see those things, is your mind just processing all your, your old school information about how they're operating and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, robotics is sort of one of the most fun technologies, but it's also one of the hardest. And essentially, you know, even though it looks very nice and, and it looks great, what you realize is it's doing something very specific. You know, a, a hopping robot is not the same as a, as a walking human being. Uh, so it's doing something very specific. And even that requires enormous, you know, control systems and computing power and sensors that are everywhere that are sensing, you know, the tilt and the, and the speed at which it's moving and, and the orientation and, you know, calculating all that and powering the servers to take the next jump. So yeah, they're very complex systems. So I'm curious about the future of robotics and specifically, I'm curious to know, I was trying to, to imagine, you know, the future because that's always a fun thing to do. And I thought, all right, what, what would be a cool point to figure out how long it would take until we get there to ask you? And what I came up with was if we had solar powered robots, right, that could uh, ma maintenance their own factory to build them and maintenance their own solar powered panel factory that produces those and provides their own power basically to the, the they're in this immortal cycle of being able to manufacture repair and power themselves how long till we get there yeah you know that's it is a very difficult uh question and unfortunately i don't have the most optimistic answer in that but maybe that's one of the things of the legacy of, of having come from a time when you know robotics wasn't easy. Uh, it's taken a long time to even get to where we are. So the way I would say is, if you took some very specific functions, you know, Raybert's, you know, hopping robot, or uh, I don't know if you remember long ago when I was a grad student, Rodney Brooks at MIT used to build these, what he called these small insects. Oh, yeah. Uh, one called Attila and one called Jengis and and you know he was he was trying to prove a point around the some subsumption architecture where you know each individual how it stands up and then how it walks uh, all of these what they demonstrated was you can do some very specific set of tasks and maybe you can get them to do it well I think the big challenge becomes when you start saying can you build these general purpose machines that can behave at do tasks the way human beings can do and I, I suspect that's where you're leading to that they're building their own factory and they're doing that and i think that is really a long ways away and i know that sounds sort of pessimistic the optimistic side of it is for specific tasks yes you can build those the technology is getting there and and we will see that happening uh, so you know, as long as you're confining it to a very limited set of tasks, yes, I think those are not that far away. But if you want to build a general purpose machine, you know, the same thing that 
AI is trying to do, you know, the strong AI versus the weak AI. Strong AI is general purpose intelligence, and that's going to be tough. For your official answer, I'll say four to five years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is zero two. No, you know, I find the, the, the hard thing about thinking about future things is that if the future comes at us almost in this exponential way and we think in this linear way. So, like, if you think, we always think forward. If I'm going to think about 10 years forward, what I'm going to do is I'm going to think 10 years ago and then I'm going to then equate that to going forward, right? But that's yeah. not how it happens, no. right? Because it's always going faster. So that's, a, that's a, a disadvantage. And the way I always humble myself and ground myself in before thinking about the future is realizing that 110 years ago, electricity was not widespread and available. Meaning I'm living in Florida, so I wouldn't have had AC, you know. And now what we are able to do with data and, and rockets landing themselves back on their launch pads and just the unbelievable amount of things that have happened and coming from virtually no electricity widespread 110 years ago to where we are today and the fact that every area in, on earth is coming online, like that's another perspective that we don't always have directly in our in our vision because we're always around surrounded by these electronics but you know Africa's coming online in a huge way right now they're getting incredible amount of devices and they're also able to avoid a lot of the mistakes that we made infrastructure wise because it's more advanced it's coming to them in a more advanced way so when i see these other countries coming online it, it makes me very optimistic i'm a fan of documentaries so when i do watch stuff i'll i'll watch some interesting nature stuff and i saw this one on a rainforest and it talks about one of the, the ways the rainforest is able to survive and live so well is because of its diversity, right? It protects itself. And so I love the fact that we have the whole world coming together through uh, the internet because that means the amount of diversity that we have in our ecosystem um, for developing products and for, and for making the world a better place for the next generation is, is only becoming more resilient and not becoming less resilient, right? I agree with you 100%. Yes. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I just got excited. No, I, I think, I mean, we see that, look, global logic, if you think of it, about it, and not only global logic, even, you know, my startups and others, uh, we've always had, you know, engineering teams all over the world, you know, Central Europe, uh, Latin America, uh, India, China. So, I mean, that's, that's just the nature. The internet has brought the whole thing together. Uh, and that's what we're seeing now everywhere. It's so great. Last night I was, I did a late call, a 7 p.m. call with the CTO of Lenovo, who splits his time. His name's Art. He splits his time between San Francisco and China. And it was just unbelievable. We're bouncing light, you know, fiber around the world in seconds and we're talking to each other right now. Like that's just, uh, it's, it makes me so, so proud. So from, from a leadership standpoint, you work with a lot of great people, right? And you're, there's always people around you, whether they're on your direct team or they're just around you. What stands out to you as, as high potential future leader actions? Like when, what's the last time, I guess, you could think in the past, somebody did something and you're like, I'm going to keep an eye on them for leadership. What, what was that? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so I, I split leadership, I guess, again, along two dimensions and, and more based on, you know, the kind of, uh, role I have, but also the kind of focus that the company has. Um, so one is around sort of the 
technology and technical leadership. And the other would be probably the dimension of human leadership, if you want to call it that. So one of the things I always look for amongst young engineers, people who are coming up, you know, architect types is on the technical side, how good are they at problem solving? You know, and problem solving doesn't mean you always know what the answer is. It's the approach that you take. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, when I, when I, at Cornell, when you're doing your PhD, uh, you have to go in for what is called your uh, defense, where you propose a hypothesis and your advisors and thesis advisors sit there and ask you questions. And they're really testing uh, how good are you? Will you actually be able to, to complete your dissertation in the original uh, area? And I remember there were, you know, one of my, my professors that asked me a particular problem, very mathematical, you know, manifolds and surfaces and n dimensions, that's math. Uh, and, and, you know, I tried to answer it. When there said, this is how, and I was struggling and sweating and saying, oh my God, I, I don't know how to do this. And at the end of it, I thought, well, I didn't do that well. And they said, oh, you did really well. And I said, but I didn't get the answer. And his response was, I don't think there is an answer. Uh, we don't know the answer either. We just wanted to see how you approach it. So, you know, the combination of how you approach, are you a problem solver? Uh, do you have curiosity about, you know, how you're doing things? Uh, do you bring in innovation? Those are sort of on the technical dimension. Uh, on the side of what you are as a person, and I think a leader, these things are really important, you know. Uh, how fair are you with people around you? You know, if you're always looking to take credit for work that has been done, that's a red flag. How transparent and open are you? Uh, do you worry about, oh, this information shouldn't go out, this thing didn't work well? Uh, as long as you see that, you know, the person is transparent, open, it's fair, uh, I think those are the things I really look for and say, this a person shows potential. So, you know, I'm sure there are many more dimensions people look at, but really those are the ones that stand out for me. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's the, the stuff that comes out in real time that's just off, you know, your your consciousness. Those are the the items that really make you unique. We could iterate through lists of an infinite database, right? But yeah, that's uh, that was some incredible advice. Thank you for that. So... I'm curious to know about digital transformation. We get a lot of people talking about it and a lot of individuals that listen to the show, engineers, they'll reach out and say, what's, what's the digital transformation? Everything's already digital. And, and so I, I said, well, I will ask for you. Yeah, no, no that's a great, uh, you know, this, is, this word is of course being used everywhere. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly one of the, people who are answering that for my customers. Uh, so I'll, I'll try and give a, a quick uh, answer to that. See, the, uh, there was a seminal blog or something that I think you know, Mark Andreessen wrote some time ago, or, which was entitled Software is Eating the World. And I think if you look at the thesis that was in that, in that write-up, what it really said is, any industry that you look at today, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be in education, you can be in farming, uh, you can be in automotive, you can be in retail. Every industry is going to be completely transformed 
uh, by software and digital systems that are coming along. What that really means is what they're doing today, a retailer, the traditional retailer had stores and people would come and they would buy and they understood it well. Well, Amazon has shown the business has changed completely. Why? Because they have a platform through which they essentially have recast the nature of, of retail. And now you take that to almost any business, you know, uh, automotive is being transformed not just by uh, the battery technology, but by autonomous learning. That's going to change the entire, Uber has already changed the taxi business. So digital transformation at its, at its most fundamental is about think how technology and a pl platform built on technology is going to change your business. And that's what, what really digital transformation is about. Uh, we go to companies and organizations that have been doing business for 80 years, 100 years, and they're all asking that question, how will my business be changed by a new uh, technology? And that's what we help them do. We say this is the approach. You know, they all have strong IT uh, uh, departments. They know how to do technology to support the current business. The question is, you have to sort of change your entire mindset now. And it isn't about supporting your current business. It's about building technology that will drive your new business. It will bring in new partners. And that, I think, is, is what digital transformation is all about. Yeah, that's why I like it. I, I loved that it wasn't a go-to-the-cloud answer. <laughs> no, that, it's really, really insightful. It actually reminds me, um, you know, Juniper, right? They do all this, the switches and the rounding. Um, I was speaking with a Bob over there and he's had an amazing career and has been around the, the Bay area for a long time as well. And he was telling me that they actually have a, I guess for lack of a better term, like a think tank there that's always kind of thinking really big thoughts and imagining what's coming down the pipeline next. And then working with the chief product officers to see, is this something that we're going to, this is a great thought, but is this something that's coming now that we can actually do? And when you mentioned digital transformation, you must have some sort of team or infrastructure that, that allows to think those big thoughts for these companies to ensure their ability to own their marketplace, right? Own their, own their share uh, vertical. So is that dedicated job? Like, is that dedicated positions or do you just get some, some of the bright top people and pull them in? No, we, we definitely have. I mean, so again, if you look at a digital transformation as, a, uh, as its own sort of uh, vertical has, you know, uh, functions that go all the way from rethinking how the business will, will uh, use the technology, uh, figuring out what the platform will be, what the ecosystem is going to be, how are you going to drive partnerships. So there is a sort of a business angle to it. And then there is the technology angle, which says, how are you going to build what you have and how will you get there? Uh, and so we do have dedicated people who sort of form that entire team, which goes from one end to the other. And once you have that, you have to sort of help build the thing out for them. And their different companies are at you know, different stages. I mean, we, they may have tech people, uh, but they have legacy systems that are in there. So, you know, there's a massive amount of transformation that we have to help them uh, get through just to take their legacy systems and rebuild it, you know, on the, uh, on sort of the new modern stack, you know, one that 
leverages, you know, the cloud. Well, you asked for that, right? You wanted to right, hear. Yeah. Well, it, that is part of actually digital transformation. So we should underplay that because you're rebuilding it, you're leveraging the cloud infrastructure, but they're also, you know, even the backends are all, I, you know, if you're a technologist, you know, everything is now, you know, containers and microservices and relational databases have gone into polyglot with NoSQL. Uh, and even the front end, there's a massive change happening with, you know, presentation layers are shifting with React and- Design and ops, that's something I learned that was new. That is true. Getch is pushing it real hard through their shared libraries, basically, you know, reusable code components, but for graphics and branding. And I'm, I'm like, whoa. I mean, the, it's all over the thing. And so helping companies think through from end to end, including the building, that is what you would call the full digital transformation. And yes, there are dedicated teams that do that. Oh, that, that's like, I didn't know that that world existed. But if I, if I didn't do this as a job, right, <laughs> that is like right up my alley because you get to leverage the business side of things. I'm a business geek, right? You get to leverage product because it's not enough to know where things are going. You got to tell me how to get there, right? Like it's like, yeah, all right, we, we want to go north, but we need, we need to know how to get there, how to convert what we have so we can. And then we have to have plans to onboard trans, transfusion systems, um, you know, data massaging on the in-between ETLs, like just all that yeah. stuff is, uh, oh, it just, I'm getting too excited from an individual contributor standpoint. <laughs> well, there's, there's always a role for that. You, you're welcome to come in and help us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's, it's just, it's so much fun because uh, just to, I think for anything, there's, there's people out there who, who have that experience and, and just to be able to peek inside your company through this conversation and know that, that you guys are doing something like that is, um, is tremendously valuable. And, and I'm sure you, you do uh, a good amount of public speaking. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, I would love to do more if I could find the time, but it's, it's all about to find the time. That's why the podcasts are so convenient. Yeah, that is indeed. You can do it right from my office. But I've I found that the individuals who out who are out there talking about things that are really unique about their business, um, or at least having, uh, you know, team leads and other people talking about it at the organization, that attracts the talent of like-minded people. That is correct. I, I fully agree, and I and I think I know we didn't talk about this when you mentioned the leadership, but that does bring me to another important one that I do look for when I'm grooming or looking and that's communication, you know, being able to communicate your ideas, your opinions, uh, and very often, you know, something that is not commonly accepted and being able to communicate that is supremely critical for a good leader. Yeah. I'm always working on the communication. Writing a book was a, was a good way for me to, uh, to work on that and expand that before I was just saying, well, I tried to write and I tried to write a book and it didn't work very well. So then I said, well, I don't give up. That's not who I am. I just surrounded myself with people who had done it before and people who could help me on the journey. And then I put out the first, first book and that new skill. Now I don't have to hire writers. I can just, I can write now. And, uh, and that ability to communicate through multiple mediums, through video, through voice, and through text, usually people only get comfortable in one. 
and they only want to exist in that one. But if you have the ability to spread the message in all three, then that just gives you uh, more of an edge in the market. And this is a competitive marketplace. It is, it is indeed. But, but yes, the value of good communication cannot be underestimated. I actually, um, I'll share a, one story that happened today. So the, I put a job posting out for video editors because I've been editing my, my videos and uh, we have multiple types of videos and we have about seven people at the company, but I this one type of video I've been editing myself. And I wanted, uh, as a leader, it's always important to know where you're spending your time, allocating your time, and then what items are able to be delegated to other people once they've been processized enough and you've had enough experience with them. So I put out this job for video editor. I get this reply from this guy named Alex and he's up in Connecticut. And he says to me, he says, look, I, I, I want to come move down to Florida and work for you. I saw the podcast. I saw the job posting. I love what you're doing. It's unbelievable how you're talking to these great people. He's like, I want to come work for you. And I said, oh, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. He's from Russia. He was doing very well in nice film production company over there, great portfolio, all this stuff. Him and his wife accidentally won the lottery for a green card. Boom, got a green card in the United States overnight. They have a five-year-old kid. So they said, well, we don't speak English. And so we could, this is a major opportunity. They never thought that they would get it. It's not even like a visa. It's just straight green card lottery that happens, wow. which, which was news to me. Right, because yeah. I knew you could apply for like high-performing visas and things like that. So then they're over here for six months. They learn enough English to do a job interview, and his wife has to speak for him because she learned it faster. Right. He gets the job interview, and now he's like, "It's very cold." And I just came from Russia, and one of the bonuses of coming to America was that I would we would live in a warmer climate. We happen to be in Florida, so he's like, "I want to move, finish up my project here, and then move down and come and come work for you." I'm like, "You would actually do that? You would just..." pick up and bring your family down here just, just to work and for the opportunity. And I go, there's no guarantee. You got to work hard. You got to produce. And like, I'm not guaranteeing anything. So he's like, yeah. And so he's on his way down and he's, and he's in his early thirties, like I am. And he's just hungry and he's driven and he has a credible work ethic based on, you can't fake a large portfolio like that. Right. And, uh, I was just blown away. I, I said, I've never done that before. I've never hired someone off of a, a video call, but when I saw his work, he could perform the work and he had that drive and they found out they were scared to do it, but they did it. And he speaks virtually perfect English in one year. He's been here for like a, you know, a year and he speaks virtually perfect English. And, he, and I'm like, he's just trying so hard when you see that happening and they have quality of work. I said, yeah, you're hired. Come, come down to Florida. Well, that's, I mean, that's an inspirational story because it, it also, you know, shows you the, the value of, you know, dedication and hard work. And I, I, I say that, and this is really true in engineering. Yes, you want tremendously bright people, you want, you know, innovative thinkers, but if you don't have the tenacity and the, the hard work to back it up, it just won't cut it because I don't care how many, I mean, I've built and launched I don't know how many products, some that I founded, some for clients, but you know, there is a period of getting it built and stuff, which is just, will feel like a grind. And you know, if you, if you don't have it in your DNA, engineering is going to be tough. That persistence and that drive. I've got two more questions for you and then we'll, we'll begin to wrap it up. 
first one is what are you most excited about at global logic like what what's getting you jumping out of the bed in the morning Whew. well that's a, that's a broad question <laughs> i know i didn't say it was easy <laughs> because you know there are many things there are things we're doing and you know if you look at our website we, we we're welcoming uh a very powerful and big set of investors. There's all those things. But I'll answer the CTO, what's, what's getting excited is, you know, it's really the, the new technologies, but even within that, if I had to pick the single area that's just, I feel is gonna change the world, it's the AI machine learning. And I'm sure you're hearing it from everybody. So it's, more of the same, but I'm telling you, we are working across sectors from, as I said, retail, education, uh, automotive, uh, telecom. And if, if I was to say the single unifying thread that is just coming up is that everywhere uh, there's this embedding of the new AI and machine learning to drive more and more functionality. You know, the retailers are predicting customer behavior. They're predicting inventory levels. They're doing in, uh, in autonomous driving. You're looking at machine recognition of obstacle. And this AI and machine learning is ubiquitous. You know, my sort of new way of thinking is, you know, we used to be uh, mobile was hot, whatever, 15 years ago, and everything was becoming mobile first. Then it became cloud and it's cloud native. Well, now is the era of AI native. Every product is going to be have elements of AI embedded. That's that's getting me really excited. I see it when I look at the market. I I I'm a big fan of studying like what happened in the past, especially a few years ago. I went on a big history kick, and I saw what was happening in like the you know 40s through the 80s, 90s with computers right how they started out the giant rooms and then they slowly shrunk down and you saw but in that process while you see the technology transition in the marketplace what was happening is these companies were focused and they were coming out and becoming in business just for building the one piece of the pie right and then you if you look at the i guess the lighthouse the milestone being the personal computer maybe in the you know, early 2000s, right? Where it's all just one thing, you can just get it and it's all there and you go, you uh, scrub that timeline back to the 40s where everything's giant and huge and then the 60s. Um, that's how I see right now with everyone building their basic AI functions. Like I see the, essentially the, the conscious style, at least the fakeably conscious, right, uh, style AI. And then I see everybody building the little pieces. Like this person's working on the visualization piece. This person's working on the thought piece. There's some emotional cortex concepts going on with emotional recognition. That's really cool. And so as I see the market, I said, all right, well, I, I see it going there and I see everybody building their pieces. Again, I just don't know what the timeline is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you'll see the impact of what I call this very specific problem solving uh, using AI and machine learning in all the products. I think I think already out there, and you're going to see them, uh, you know, all over. And we get all the benefits too. Like uh, I spoke to Canon and Verizon, and they were telling me about how they're using uh, one of the big 
things that they have going on today is the predictive analytics across their IoT networks of knowing when a piece of equipment is going to fail and shipping you out new pieces of equipment prior to its failure. I'm like, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah, and that's just one part. I mean, you can just go across anything. As I said, autonomous learning, you know, they're, they're learning how to recognize obstacles, becoming better. If you go into education, it's all about uh, learning how students are, are picking up and deciding what path so it becomes personalized. I mean, it's, it's just every product that's going to come out is going to be have AI embedded in it, which is why I said it's the AI native products that are, that are the next big thing. I love it. I love the AI native. So Elon Musk, you must be a fan of Elon Musk. I know him, yes. Yeah. How could you not? Oh, you actually know Elon Musk? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I was like, shut up. Come on. <laughs> I was like a schoolgirl over here. Like, what? No. Uh, so, so let's say that he calls you up, right? Or let's say you're driving down the road and he pulls up in his Tesla and he says, hey, uh, I got a time machine come on over to my house and you get to go in the time machine and go back in time and give yourself advice 10 years ago, what advice would you give your past self? 10 years, 10, 10 years. years. So, so, I mean, what I would say at every instant, I would give, give myself the advice probably about, you know, trusting your instincts much more. And I think this is especially true for those of us who are engineering analytics guys. Uh, if I look back, uh, not just 10 years, but 20 years or whatever, uh, you know, 20, 25 years, I always get the, the thing that there's a lot of things that you've seen coming or have, you know, and, and you could almost say, I think this could happen. Uh, so the advice I would probably give is trust your instincts and maybe put your money where your mouth is because a lot of us are able to see into the future again, especially those of us who have strong analytics, the knowledge, the foundation, to trust your instincts more and maybe bet on it a lot more. You know, I've done some of it, but I, I now look back and say, you know, I could have done a lot more and trusted my instincts and guided myself in that manner. So trust yourself. I love it. That's some great advice. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah. We did it, my friend. We made a podcast and it was Thanks. unbelievable. Like it was really good. You get you just deployed an incredible amount of value and knowledge. I I can't thank you enough. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would like to cover? No, I mean we could talk for 24 hours and not cover <laughs> technology such a vast field. Uh, oh, yes. And I enjoyed it. So, yes. All right. Have a fantastic day. Okay, take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this, get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.